All right, my name is Matt Barr. You listen to episode 94 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors. As usual, thanks for checking in on this one. Hope you enjoy it. Um, I certainly did. My guest this week is Nick Jensen, a skateboarder and artist from London, who is a bit of a pivotal figure in the UK scene, I would say, definitely over the last decade and a half, probably. Nick occupies a very particular place in the UK skateboarding firmament. He's a street skater of global renown and influence, and he's also a particularly creative force with a very unique approach to both his creative activities and skateboarding, which uh, comes across in everything that he does, I would say. Now, I've been intrigued by Nick's take on skateboarding and creativity for a few years now, sparked initially by his film parts and stuff like Fully Flared, the left-right thing he did with Tom Knox, his involvement with stuff like the Atlantic Drift series. Basically, everything he does, there seems to be a pretty considered aesthetic vision at play. And obviously, that's something worth exploring. And I'm also interested in finding out how people in Nick's position balance their work. I mean, he is an artist. He's a skateboarder. He's one of the key players in Isle Skateboards. I guess you could say he's creative director in that company, which he runs with Paul Shire. There's a lot going on, basically. So he invited me over to his studio in Homerton to sit down and discuss the whole thing. Now, regular listeners to the show will know that I'm pretty interested in that whole area of how creativity works, where ideas come from, and how you can still that voice of self-doubt in your head to give yourself permission to do the work that you're trying to do. It's not often I get to have a conversation about that stuff, really. And I had a little bit of an inkling that Nick would be up for it, or at least know what I was talking about. So I decided that that's what I'd be interested in exploring with Nick. And it's what we mainly talked about, because his career in skateboarding and his association with London and all that stuff has been very well covered elsewhere, not least by most of the skateboarding sites. So I kind of wanted to get his thoughts on a few different things, really. His relationship to creativity how it informs his process and his whole approach to life, really, because Nick Jensen's in a pretty interesting position right now. He's a massively successful skateboarder who's attempting to take the lessons and approach that served him so well in that field to forge a career as an artist. And the result is a super interesting and at times quite challenging conversation about this area. I say quite challenging because I think we both enjoyed the slightly nebulous territory we were exploring. And we also enjoyed exploring each other's ideas on the topic and challenging each other a little bit, which uh, I thought was the way to go with this one. Nick's a really thoughtful and super intelligent character. He weighs his answers up carefully. And the result is a pretty cerebral chat about some weighty themes, which as I'm sure people who are at all experienced with this show will know, is right up my boulevard. So that's what happened. I'll be back at the end with the usual housekeeping corner stuff. But in the meantime, here's myself and Nick Jensen on The Anxiety of Influence. Enjoy. How you doing, Nick? Yeah, really good, thanks. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for doing it. Thanks uh, Thanks for having us. So we're near your studio. So how long have you been here? I've uh, been here for like two years now. Yeah, my other studio got flattened and turned into flats. So I was lucky to find this place in Homerton. Right. So where was the other one? Not far from here, London Fields. Right. So this is the routine, is it, day to day? Like down here? Yeah, quite frequently. Cycle from where I live in Tottenham, down the canal to the studio. Right. Yeah. Do you keep hours or... Um, luckily, well, I have a son now, he's two, so that is my hours. It's like, get up, leave the house by half eight. On days, I'm not looking after him, yeah. of course. And then I uh, generally have to work out to get home for around five or half five. Yeah. Because he's got kind of like bedtime dinner routine. Yeah, yeah. Did you always work like that or is that a new thing since... It's a new thing, yeah. How's that then? It's quite a regular kind of great job actually. routine, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I think it's a bit better for me because... I've been known in the past just to fiddle around for too long on something and just spend till midnight. Just time will fly and you won't really achieve anything past 5.30 anyway. Yeah. I'm a morning person and I don't have enough discipline 
to leave the studio because I like love it in there too much. But I fuck stuff up basically, right? Because of it. So I think leaving at five thirty is good. You're a morning person, as in you like to work early in the morning, or like yeah, I just think I'm but I'm more productive and my my mind's a bit clearer. Yeah, yeah, I kind of found that as well. If I've got a deadline, I always basically want to be working like these days, like sort of half five six. Oh no way! Yeah, it's okay. weird, though, isn't it? Because it's it's like I'm not talking that early. It's how your your brain sort of gives you permission to work though in it you kind of have to like work out what works yeah. for you and when you yeah, can yeah. be creative um yeah yeah so what are you working on at the minute well i'm not in every day but i'm in like four days a week i'm working on a body of work just mainly to kind of convince myself and the world around me that i'm doing something interesting <laughs> <laughs> well that's half the battle <laughs> yeah great opportunities Con- convince yourself <laughs> yeah. yeah and how's that going i'm half convinced yeah I'm, I'm proud of myself i've been working super hard and i've made quite a lot of um developments in my work recently and being quite like i hate the word brave because it's hard to understand what that means but i've definitely done stuff where i've taken like the comfort out of the way and really like pushed myself into the places where i'm like unknown territory right and is that something that you find difficult by the sounds of it Um, emotionally i mean well it's more that you don't want to be a schizophrenic human being you want to be able to i mean there's this idea i I feel like it might be something that filters back down now through our age of 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 dare i say instagram and all this sort of branding thing that you're quite resolved as a human being and i think being an artist in the way that i am i'm just not i'm like trying to get become more resolved right well that's an interesting word to use What, what do you mean by that well i just think that have a language that you use in painting that is kind of connected to you uh, right so, uh, so not one minute doing something that's multicolored with like squares all over it and then the next minute doing something like photorealistic so it's like rooted in a in an emotional honesty that you can follow through yeah like a dna that you're connected to but i think you need to work that out through trial and error you can't conceive it intellectually yeah you have to kind of that's the thing i've been down so many dead ends thinking like oh maybe i'm this guy right you know what i mean that's i mean i kind of think it is as the question i'd ask you do you think that's a necessary part of it then to, 100%. to, to becoming like an honest yeah. artist yeah 100 percent. i think you just have to embrace failure and it's frustrating at times and i think nowadays it's harder to deal with that because you keep seeing people who are inverted commas resolved really successful and you feel like I'm the guy chucking painless stuff and it's not working. Right. Sometimes. Well, especially because you can see things that are successful that don't have an honesty clearly as well in this kind of current yeah. climate. I suppose it's honesty in terms of truth, truth to, to yourself. You're not like you're being as honest to yourself as possible. You're not like using certain things that you know people will like specifically because it work. bright colours and they're seductive. Yeah. You're thinking more about your like essentially it's just about discovering your own language and working out what are the parameters of that and how to kind of test those parameters and feel like you're in a excited challenging and like experimental space but you're not completely like insane going just completely down weird routes for no reason well the next question that i've that i've got is like how hard is it to achieve that really this I think it just takes, it's different for different people. So there are some painters out there that, I've, that I like absolutely love's work, yeah? And they'll just would have had it pretty much that, that language or that, that sensibility from day one. Like, it's just in their thing. You just see like an old painting they've made when they were like 16 and now they're like 36 or something. And you're like, wow, it, it embodied, it had that in it, what it has now. Yeah. Same with skating. There's people like Gino, you know, it's just like, it's in okay, you just have the best style in the world and you just <laughs> it's not like you went to bed and thought, I'm really going to try and have the best style in the world. It's just something that you have. I'm definitely the latter. I'm not Gino. Yeah. I'm, I'm the kid who's just like trying to work it out. Right. And it's been like that with, you know, with skating. It was like put a, put a lot of effort in. I'm not naturally talented. Right. Same with painting. And it's just like I just have a lot of drive and determination to just keep going until I get somewhere that's like, and you open a door to somewhere new, really. Right. So have you, uh, are they um, complementary, like in terms of encouraging that, you know, if you're struggling, because obviously you've achieved success in skateboarding. So um, with, yeah. with, with the art, are you able to look at it and, and see, well, that's the approach to take if, yeah. if it gets difficult at points? I think definitely like 
think it's not a question of don't give up. I think it's just I want to be a painter no matter what. It just more means having to get a fucking job or something in the future when I don't get paid to skate anymore. Ideally, I just want to be in a studio the whole time. Yeah. So is that the goal? Is that what you would... That is my goal, yeah. Yeah. What do you think you need to do to achieve that? I just need the listeners to buy all my work. (laughs) I need someone who's listening to this to run, like, the tape. I'm sure there's someone out there. Uh, no, I, I just think it's it's. I've got a show coming up with a gallery called Union Gallery in February. It's just if you make good work, well, you believe in it and it's interesting. It will. It just keep making it. And yeah. Just, I I believe that I'm not in a rush, but I am busy. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And um, you you basically were talking about like an emotional language that you try and express. How did you formulate that language? Where's that come from? Is it do you take influences from contemporaries? Like is it is it experience? Like what what where do you where do you find the fuel for it in the work that yeah, you're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's exactly a mixture of those things. It, it fundamentally comes down to just when you when you go to when you're young and you go to an exhibition or something with your friend or you go to a museum with your family and you see something and it inspires you. It's that same thing you have when you're older. You're just like, there's something about that picture or the way that that person used paint that was just like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. The same way like someone does a trick. You're just kind of like, when you don't know how to do it, you're just like, I want to learn that. Yeah. It's like a technical wizardry. You want to kind of, knowing that, all right, I want to be able to use paint in these sort of magical, elusive, illusory kind of ways. And then just working out subject matter, which has taken about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Just like banging my head against brick walls at different various different points and working out, kind of going down a very abstract route in order to, in order to like reveal how to deal with figures. We were just in your studio and you were obviously showing, showing me some of your work. Sounds like the, the technical challenge of it is an appeal as well. Because you were talking about it in terms of like problem solving almost. Absolutely. It's completely just problem solving. Yeah. Like, so it's, it seemed like that was a huge part of what you got out of the day-to-day process almost. Like getting yeah. yourself, you know, almost like creating a problem and then finding a way of solving it in yeah, a way yeah, that's, exactly. is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. How does that kind of, is that just an ongoing thing like that you, like the experimentation that you do with the work? Is that? Yeah, it's just one of those things because you, you have an idea in your mind and it never is ever what, the thing's going to look like and that idea is a seed and when you start making it you realise oh, that's changing and then before you know it it's, it's a different thing and then you're in a dialogue with that thing and then bef- and then it just becomes like do you know what I mean like, I hate that word dialogue but it just becomes a thing and you just before you know it you're like you're a month in with this object and you, it's changed and it's evolved and it starts it just basically it talks back to you a bit so it's quite a nice feeling it's not just this one thing you're trying to sort of strangle to death sure. it's more like this thing that comes back and you're having conversation right so it's like a, almost like a two-way process. Yeah. You said I'm a painter, not an artist earlier, which I yeah. thought was an interesting distinction. What did you mean by that? Because I, I spend my time thinking about painting in a kind of more purist, old-school fashion, and I look at painters from that kind of era of, you know, Matisse, Picasso, up to, like, Bacon, Freud, Auerbach, and, and, and that kind of trajectory of, of inverted commas, contemporary painting. Yeah. I'm interested in that world, it's like skateboarding. I'm. I wouldn't say I'm an artist. I'd say I'm a skateboarder. If that makes sense. Yeah. It kind of lends itself to being an artist as well, like because you think creatively. But I think everyone's creative. There's right. No distinction between that. So I don't. I don't think my role is to be an artist in terms of like. I don't know. Maybe I am. I just. It's a difficult one because I just think it brings up a whole. Association. Association. Yeah. I, I know. Don't I, adopt. I know what you mean. It's. It comes with baggage almost, doesn't it? If you if you put it in those terms. It's a bit more, I'm not gonna use the word functional because that's the wrong word, but it's a, it's a bit more, it sets you on a certain path maybe that's, yeah. that's a bit clearer, let's say. I'm interested though as well in, in the way that you, because we were also talking about this like problem solving side of things and the technical, you know, a lot of it, being creative is is almost about understanding that there's no like right way to do it and that you can make mistakes and that you can experiment and that can be quite hard to learn i think because particularly in my case like when i was younger i always used to look at these things and think like well no there must be a right way of doing it there must be there must be a path that i'm not quite on and that i need to get to if i'm gonna do it in the right way did was did you ever 
And yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. You almost feel like someone's going to come out of nowhere and say, right, you're on the right path yeah, now. Yeah, um, exactly. But actually, you're your own boss. So you, it's quite hard to, to navigate that because you've got to decide, oh, that's finished. Yeah. And it has a certain charm to it. So you've got to, got to be an outside objective point of view on your own subjective self. Did you have to learn that? Yeah, I've had to learn that and I still can't learn it. Sometimes, I'm, you know, it's good to leave. That's what I'm saying. It's good to leave at half five because before that other voice can come in and self doubt. Yeah, right. Say, okay. Oh, maybe you should actually change that. Yeah, yeah. You've left it and then then you're like, oh, I have to sit with that. And actually, that's a much more, it can be a much more positive thing. Yeah. Sitting with something that feels maybe a little bit uncomfortable. But then in time, you realize it's why it could be one of the elements as to why you're developing is becoming more of an interesting painter. Well, a bit of space as well. A bit of space to let it kind of germinate, maybe. And, uh, you know, give yourself space to, to have ideas and be creative as well. Yeah, exactly. No. So you obviously skateboarding we should talk yeah, about yeah yeah um so when did you start skating like originally when was that um when i was like nine years old i think i looked out the window and luckily my neighbor was like one of the sickest skaters and he just happened to be skating in front of me and my brother a he looked so cool and b he was actually flipping his board and we just couldn't believe it so we were like mum, dad get us a board got a board for christmas and just pestered our neighbor to like hang out with us right he was like 15 and we were like nine so he was a bit like oh these guys suck yeah yeah didn't really skate and we just spent endless summers in front of our house on the pavement just like building ramps and just learning tricks and copying trying to copy the guy right so and so he was like someone that kind of got you into it took you under his wing a little bit when you were that age a little bit yeah right um, and obviously just then out into London, like the wider London scene. Yeah, so me and Rob, my, my older brother, I've got another brother, James, but it, it was me and Rob that were the ones in super into skating and he, we kind of made this pact, like when we can do a kickflip, then we'll let ourselves go to South Bank. Right. So once we'd learnt, because we didn't want to embarrass, we didn't want to be those guys like right, turning, turning up. Because at, at that time it was like people there were really good at skateboarding. Right. So you didn't want to be the guys there who couldn't, you, yeah for our own sort of pride, I guess, we wanted to be able to skate a little bit. Right, and yeah. how, how did it match your expectations when you... It was amazing, it was just so exciting, man. It was just like the most amazing place in terms of loads of interesting people just skating around a lot older than us, doing tricks, so much energy, and we just found it so like inspiring. And everyone was really friendly to us and like took us under their wing and we just kind of became like a bit of a family and we'd just be there like every chance we could. Right, so that was it from that point? That yeah. was that was your life. Yeah, pretty much. Right, um, and how did it develop then? So how did when did you kind of? I just literally skated South Bank the whole time, and then a bit of street skating because Shannon King started taking us on little trips street skating when I was like eleven, like two years into it. Like, oh come, let's go and explore. And we used to find that so fun. And then after that, kind of watched a few skate videos and realised, all right, cool, this is a this is a thing I want to emulate. Like. Jaron Wilson in Mouse. I want to look like Mariano. I want to da 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 and like learn tricks, and it properly became an obsession. Right. So you um, started to kind of realise there was a, a wider world out there. Yeah, and wanted to get sponsored. It was quite eager. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. From quite an early age. Yeah, from quite an early age. Yeah, quite annoying. Quite like I think I wrote a letter to Flip once. Like I can right. listed every trick I could do. Really? Right. So proper Kino. Proper Kino. <laughs> proper annoying. Like I mean, I remember Ben Sandsby worked at Slam City Skates, and he used to be like, he talks about me now, and he's just saying stuff like, "Oh God, you're a f- you're an absolute nightmare." Right. No street cred whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, mate, you sponsor me. That's kind of cool though, because you were you know you were that into it. I'm just that you know it's just the same with like painting. It's just like I'm into it. I'm you, you, I want to make it happen, and I'm honest about it. Yeah, you were all in. So and did you? Because it sounds like you're somebody that once you get set on something, is is prepared to dedicate yourself and do the work basically. So is that yeah. what it was with skateboarding pretty early on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was just so fun. Yeah. It was just like, adi- it was just addictive. And who were the main people you were skating with back then? Clive Daly was the main guy at, the, at South Bank and Toby Shaw and then Ben Walker. It was just like a big kind of crew of people down at South Bank that I hung out with until I got sponsored by Blueprint and then it sort of started to broaden a bit more. Right. And did you start to, because you, you know, like I said, you're pretty associated with London. Did you ever sort of think about going to the states and doing any of that like doing yeah people would people would say that to me like oh you could go to the states and stuff and like really push it but i'm actually quite faint-hearted and like i'm a bit of a 
homesick kind of wimp. I just like sticking. I don't know. I'm not that guy. Yeah, because it's a bit of a sort of rite of passage thing for British skaters to yeah be like right, gonna go to the West Coast and I sort just of didn't. Try and I just was like, mm, I don't know. No, you weren't. You weren't too bothered. Wasn't too bothered. No. Yeah. Well, you were saying earlier you had more of an affinity with the East Coast as well. Maybe. It's just daunting, and I just think I probably just felt scared of the idea, and I just did, maybe didn't think I was. I don't know, I couldn't really break America. I wasn't, I'm just not good enough. I'm not that kind of skater. I'm not like the John Rattray type or the Jeff Rowley type or the Tom Penny type. It, to me, it wasn't living the dream, like traveling the whole time. No. It's not something I'm that bothered about. It sounds really sort of like selfish, but I'd rather just be in the studio the whole time. Right. Weird, yeah. Well, I, I mean, nothing wrong with that, is there? If you, if you know what's working yeah. for you. So basically, you would skate in London on Blueprint. Um, and then how long did that last? Until it went down the pan, really, because of the recession. So, what, so what's this, like 2013, 2012, 2013? Yeah, 2012, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then this is when you started Isle with Paul, right? Yeah. We were just skating King's Cross, um, these wooden blocks. And um, Shire was in town. He lives in LA. And he was just came over to me and said, if I was to start a small company, would you be up for being involved right doing the art direction I was like yeah definitely simple as that yeah yeah and were you daunted by that or did you I should have been more daunted than I was, I was right like, okay that sounds wicked yeah cool pretty pretty loose brief so and what was it just kind of take yeah, care of the creative like, side okay, of let's it let's actually you know make a brand now and then like when we had to come to launching our boards and our and our website I was a bit like uh-oh I don't even really know how to use photoshop right which is actually a blessing in the end because it meant that I just made these sort of slightly clunky sculptures and installations and just took photographs of them and used them as the graphics. Did you guys have any kind of master plan for the direction of it or what, what it was going to stand for? Or was it literally that straightforward? A little bit. Because I, I, so I lived in a flat in East London in, in um, top of um, Brick Lane in Shackerwell Street near where you apparently Bethnal Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it lent itself to a gallery because it used to be an old photography studio so it's a big vast wooden floored space and and i managed to convince the rest of my flatmates to allow me to turn it into a gallery once a month for 10 days right one, no once every two months for 10 days right okay so clean the furniture out put up this sort of temporary stud wall yeah real mission because i had to take it down every exhibition and store it outside in tarpaulin and it just got battered like by exhibition 12 it was like falling apart basically. so what, what were you showing there then like what so was showing contemporary art and another friend of mine was really plugged in and he went we went to uni together so we were doing it as a duo right and it was really like ambitious at the time and we were showing like big names and like borrowing it from collections and stuff like that and really thinking like we can make this happen right so that was as in like a, a regular like grow it and become yeah, more like an established gallery we were looking for investment and everything right and that was before aisle and then that kind of fizzled out just because after working with my friend for like two years, it just became more aware that art world is so difficult to straddle when you're in that position. You need a lot of money. Yeah, I was going to say, you need, you need a backer. You need and cash. I was just like losing money, basically, from right. doing it. It was just like, look, we had loads of people saying it was cool and they love what we did, but it wasn't working as a viable business. And so I basically just nicked those ideas of showing contemporary artwork on a white wall space right. and thought that's quite a good concept for a skateboard company just off the gallery wall. To, to, to use that as a canvas in the sort of cliched yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, I quite like what you were saying earlier in the studio about the fact that you, well, and what you're saying then, you didn't really come at it with any like super technical agenda or anything. It was just more like, okay, well, you know, what, what we try to do here and how can we do it in the most straightforward way possible really and see what's going to work on on the yeah the canvas of the skateboard exactly and i think having what run the gallery for two years it made me really confident because i came across loads of artists that had dealt with this and had become really confident who had quite consolidated languages and felt you know their work felt really like professional right so seeing them around their work in that way of confidence and sometimes i learned the sort of smallest gestures or the sort of the more faint or lighter handling of of objects was was more beautiful okay so it became i just became more confident in being a bit more relaxed right and knowing what i was looking for do you think that gave you more freedom creatively yeah definitely it's just like i kind of feel like i know what looks good versus i know what doesn't because i've tested out loads of exhibitions and curated them and put like things together and worked out arrangements and spoken to people about it and spent a lot of time looking doing that 
of arranged things in in galleries. Therefore, I can arrange things on a wall. Yeah. In the in the same way, it's like a microcosm world vibe. Yeah. So I just feel naturally quite confident in that way. And do you can you use those when you've got like a, a new idea? Can you use this stuff with Isle as a way of exploring it in a different way than you can with with the other work that you do? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing about Isle is that I can like have like I can meet someone and be like, oh, they're super interesting, yeah. and then find a way for them to be involved in in Isle, which invert inadvertently is my world because i get to establish relationships with these people have great chats learn new things and i'm not a creepy weirdo i've got a brand right so yeah so sounds a bit like this podcast (laughs) exactly like it's so exciting because i can like meet interesting people and i've got like relationships with like quite a lot of artists now that you've approached who i've approached i've been to visit them and like hung out with them and bumped into them in london and like have chats them quite a lot right and if I just hit them up out of the blue and said, hey, I love your paintings. Yeah. They might have been like, cool. I don't know. It might not have been quite the same. And how about the skaters? Do you work with them as well to like get them involved and get their input? Yeah, definitely. I get, I think about the idea. So it's context specific. If there's an idea that involves everyone getting involved, I think it's super important. But more often than not it can be a bit of a mission with creative processes because you add more voices into the mix and then you get someone saying they like the thing you decided you didn't like right that guy loves the thing that you used to like it's just it's impossible to please everyone yeah yeah well that is definitely true so do you do you kind of curtail that a little I tend bit to just yeah yeah and how about with paul how does that work paul's like i'm so lucky with art because paul and chris Allen, so it's run by me and paul and chris and they're both so cool and have so much like trust in me that they just like pretty much let me get on with doing most of the art direction yeah so there's not this annoying chain of please can you change that and little neurotic updates and micromanaging it's just like cool yeah well, it's it. probably one of the reasons that he asked you to do it though just to like like get on with it and kind of and it's working out that people like the graphics so he's like okay cool let's just carry on in that way yeah so how much are you skating at the minute because it sounds like you've got quite a, quite a split between... Yeah, I've been skating quite a lot more recently because it's the summer, I guess, and there's longer hours, so skating yesterday. It's, I don't know, three days... About three days a week I'll skate and about three or four days a week studio and then about two days looking after the little man. Right, that's a nice routine. Yeah. Yeah, and much filming? Working on a project with Nike, with Jake, starting in September, but not... Like, filming with a little bit here and there, but nothing's... No, no project. No. Because the filming thing is something obviously that you're really well known for and the, you know, the parts that you've done and the work that you've done with Jake always seems as considered as some of the other stuff that you do. Like the way that the parts put together, like the way that, you know, you guys choose the music, kind of just the, the take on it, the take on skateboarding that you put across. Is that something that you've always tried to do with those projects? I think also it's nice when it, it really depends on the relationship you have with the filmer and editor. So yeah, Jake, it, seems, it seems pretty strong with you guys. Yeah, Jake's super on the same page. So we'll just have chats and come up with ideas together. And it's like, it's a, two, it's a two-way thing, you know. Yeah. It's not just Jake as a robot and me coming up with all the ideas. Yeah. Way. So like, and once you get something, it's just like that thing in life. You get a bit of momentum in one direction and you start to see other things like that. And you're like, oh, that would be cool because that would connect well with that. Yeah. So it's just a natural process, but you're you're you've got that second voice in the room telling you, "Okay, this is looking good." An objective point of view, saying, "Cool, we're getting somewhere." Yeah, and that's really helpful because it gives like gives you this sort of like enthusiasm to keep going. Yeah, and adding to it. How long have you guys been working together? We've done like three or four projects. I mean, I met him and i don't even know what i mean like he met me on a bus after reading festival <laughs> he was like are you nick jensen like gromit and now he's super cool and like <laughs> i'm like are you jake harris can i have your autograph he's big dog and i'm small fry <laughs> i don't know i've known him for like 15 years or something yeah um so is this the plan for as long as possible to kind of keep this split going like keep yeah basically <laughs> yeah just keep the dream alive as yeah for as long as i can so far i'm still clinging on <laughs> You can't really feel like that, though. <laughs> no, no, I just... But there is a sense of urgency, definitely, in in my spirit. 
because of what the age that you're at or because of where you are in age and and i just want my painting to take off a bit more right just to be honest you know i just i just don't want to have to get a real job <laughs> that's a powerful motivator well, to just become more successful which i think it's going to because we're putting in more resources and more energy so there's going to be a bit of a shift with that how, how is it running a brand like that in in skateboarding today because you know there's a there's a lot of difficulty i imagine yeah we, i think we could we need to capitalize on it more we've got forty-five thousand followers on instagram we've got a big market for stuff we just need to make more um clothes more products people can buy it's just that we don't start the, we didn't start the company on much capital at all so we don't ever have any surplus money so we kind of need to find it elsewhere in order to right we're just going to tread water unless we so we've got some plans basically of how to like step it up and sort some advice and it's going to basically just like improve yeah from, from here on end so you, so you do and see that there's there's a scale that it could go to i want it to yeah i think that's my my dream would be make i'll work make you know make make it actually function as a job yeah that'd be amazing yeah and still be able to paint and skate because then my life would just be a dream yeah so what's inspiring you right now obviously in each of these worlds that we're talking about i mean i'm inspired every day when it comes to painting just by like literally my cycle ride from here to from my house to my studio i go past the canal and every boat has these beautiful different like colors on it and the way yeah it i mean it's a lovely scene isn't it and nature and people interacting with it i always feel like this deep sense of like excitement about painting because it's like it's it's in light it's in the world out there and it's sort of like there's not enough time almost to put it into paint so i just feel like endlessly inspired by that skateboarding equally just seeing like dappled light on a on a on a ledge and just being like oh the summer vibe and just being able to skate with all your mates and i don't know there's something so beautiful about that as well i'm quite romantic in that respect like skateboarding to me is often about the scene right <laughs> the setting can be well it just it's so lovely when you find when you have a lush spot and you can just chill and like yeah i'm not like a training guy that's just going to be at like a, a, a a, you know a plastic bench for hours on it yeah sure a new trick i'm much i'm more interested in the atmosphere yeah i mean there's something pretty specific about being a british skater for that though right especially being brought up in london you know it's yeah, as much a, yeah, much about the place as yeah. um is that something that don't have the choice really yeah exactly like you know <laughs> it is what it is and you have to find the beauty in it almost you have to find yeah, yeah, exactly. this this I think you just do find the beauty in it. You don't know there isn't another beauty until you look at other people and you're like, oh, right, wow. And then they think you're mad when they come from America. And they're like, you skate this? Yeah, right. Well, that's kind of why Atlantic <coughs> Drift is so good, right? Because that's what that represents, you know, that's what that conveys yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah, like everyone's a bit odd in that. Everyone does weird tricks and the spots are weird. It's just yeah. like a different representation of, of skateboarding. But the way it's filmed and conveyed is is beautiful like is is you know it, it really puts that across doesn't it exactly is that something that you feel is specific like pretty unique to, to british skateboarding or do you see it in other areas as well i think it's really unique to british skating there's just something about british skating and a lot of the people that come out of it like dan mcgee and jake Harris, yeah. who just have this way of seeing the world just like a lot of musicians that come out of the uk there's just something crystallized in our psyche yeah somehow that's just communicated in a way that is unique it, it brings a sort of certain creativity and, and confidence really that it promotes like that sense of place really you have to be tough as well to make you have to push quite hard here to be a good like skater and stuff because the weather and all these things like that so it makes you really resilient and if you want to make it happen you really same with the filmers, you have to be super patient when you know when it starts pissing it down, and you've got three days specially allocated to filming it. Yeah, and you just have to accept that not one thing is going to be filmed in those three days. It's not like a job where you go, "Oh, I'm going to go to work today, but I've decided that my laptop's broken, so I'm just going to sit here instead for three, you know, three <laughs> days." You have to achieve something in that day. Yeah, uh, skateboarding doesn't work like that. So you have to be a certain kind of, you have to have a certain temperament. And Jake's got an amazing, you know, these filmers have to go through quite a lot of boredom. In yeah respect and following people around and nothing happening yeah how about in the you know earlier you were saying before we started recording that you know you do take influences from contemporaries in art as well so what are you seeing that's inspiring you at the minute well i like just because i'm so into like painting and looking at that i look at ted gore he's an american painter i love he did a series for isle 
I look at another painter called Christian Heidacker. He's he's an amazing artist. He deals a lot with like Eastern kind of ideas and of, of perspective and and brings it in through to like quite a contemporary format. I saw the Frank Bolin at the Tate Britain the other day. That was really amazing. I saw the Van Gogh. I just think it's it's kind of timeless. My influences. It's just it's there are contemporary elements to it. But for me, contemporary is more about that individual happens to be born now rather than then and they yeah. have a handling of paint in a way that i think is as beautiful as the people before they're not trying to make a a quick comment on the past yeah or a one-liner they're just dealing with this very kind of heavy subject matter that's got a lot of history to it in a way that's kind of light in their own do you like seek it out inspiration or do you try and kind of keep yourself quite detached from it because that's another you know, we were talking about like where you take your influences from and finding your own voice and all that stuff earlier. That that can be a bit of a double-edged sword, right? If you if yeah, you see some, that, if you see something that you yeah. like, almost like too influential. You know, no, what I mean? I've had that before. You're just like, oh, that guy says it, or she says it in a way that I wish I. Did. Yeah. And then you're like, oh no, and then you're like, oh. But the thing is, you've got to learn this in life, and I think this is super important with art. Is you do need to swing close to those yeah. in order to to realise why you aren't that. If you prevent yourself from going anywhere near that, you hover in this sort of timid space and then you never really get to explore that and work out how to come out the other end. Yeah. So I actually encourage you to be a bit of a copier if you need to go that way. Maybe keep it private. Well, it can, it can help, can't it? It can, it can give you like a spur or be a catalyst. Yeah, you'll learn something weird along the way. Like, oh, I can use it in this way. Yeah. And, and you know, Picasso used to be like, they'd go to people's studios and they'd shut the doors after a bit because he'd steal, he'd steal ideas. Yeah. He knew, oh, I could take what that person's doing and do it better. Yeah. I mean, you're not just born a purist. You don't just wake up one day and you're just like, oh, you, you know, things come from other places and influences. I think you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I guess it's like having the strength to understand like w- where you want to stop it being an influence and yeah, yeah. And, and then turn it into your there's, own yeah, thing. Yeah, there's got to be a departure between the other person and your work. But if you're in a space where you really need to sort of do some downtime and working out and almost research, yeah. I think it can be good to just go, go a direction to work out who you are by who you're not Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Is that, again, something that you've... I've done that loads. I mean, I've spent hours doing examples and tests and even like copies of like old mark like trying to work answer questions that you can't do intellectually you have to do them physically with paint yeah yeah there's a lot of lot of stories about like hunter s thompson used to type out novels that he oh really that he loved like literally would like type out the great gatsby just to just to get his head around it and understand what he what he would like you know what he wow. take from it and not copy from it you know it's it's a big thing i think it's a lot of work that's the thing it's a lot of discipline that people just don't really they take for granted these days yeah anyway i think it's super important like being geeky and like researching stuff and like i remember i went to a conservator's talk at the courtauld about a picasso painting and it was just super geeky but fascinating yeah so what would uh, success look like, do you think? I would just like to make enough money out. I'd like to have paintings that pe- like people wanted to buy and then I could make, you know, put that money back into buying materials and making more paintings. Yeah. That's it, really. It's so just it's keeping it alive. Yeah, just being able to do the work. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So the show that you've got in February, what, like, where's that? What's, what's, is uh, that it's is a space. It's just like quite a, a small space in um, East London. I'm doing it with a, me and my friend Jack Brindley have been putting together this proposal um, w- of working together he's a sculptor and I've loved his work for so many years and so it's a real I'm stoked man I get to work alongside him right I'm going to make some kind of like painting installation show yeah my so work you... and his sculptures integrated ah uh, right so collaboration by sounds of it a little bit of a collaboration but not too collaboration but it's something that you enjoy like because it's something that you mentioned earlier with, with Isle as well like bringing people together and yeah, I think kind it's of finding re- different different ways of working like yeah, that. Yeah, like being flexible and open-minded is a really good thing. I'm rigid and tight a lot of the time, and it's like I try to put these things in place to to open up right that scope of like seeing yourself from a different point of view. Right. How does that help? That's quite an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, because you'll you'll be pushed into a different territory. You'll be like, oh, in order to answer that problem or solve that question, maybe if I dealt with this in that way because it would function in the context of a duo show really well but in a solo show it wouldn't so it kind of pushes you into a new a new headspace right 
And then that might then just be another idea that, that filters back into your practice just on a daily basis. Right. So again, you, you're sort of feeding it really. Like try to, it's quite proactive, isn't it, to do that, to try and... Yeah, it's really... That, that's the thing is like trying to create opportunities. Too. Yeah. Like me and Jack, I, we were like, let's try and do a show together. And then like we made a proposal and, you know, took it to a couple of galleries and, they re- and this gallery really liked it. Right. So we kind of made it happen in a way. Yeah. So, th- I mean, it sounds like a big part of it for you to get where you want to be is is kind of selling it you know is getting it to a point where you're gonna have galleries and sort of yeah you know how, how do you find that are you comfortable with that well I'd, ideally i'd like to just not bother about that but in a way it's, it's pretty necessary though isn't it? it's is pretty necessary and yeah. I, I believe in my work so therefore i think the work i think there's a place for it and there should be and there could be a market for it yeah therefore i want to pursue that yeah while i'm before i'm too far gone in the, you know what i mean yeah so I have become a bit more proactive because I'm like, let's make some, let's try and make some stuff happen. Hopefully, once, like I said, you get a bit of momentum, maybe, then you don't have to be as proactive, right? In terms of, you've got someone else helping do that for you, yeah, with you, right? Do you do you enjoy that part of it, or is it does it? It's, I mean, I don't mind it. It feels really satisfying if you pull it off, but at the same time, it sometimes feels a bit self-promotional. Yeah. You know, and I don't like doing that. No. Well, it's the modern world, isn't it? No. <laughs> it's annoying. Yeah. Well, especially when, you know, it's, well, a little bit older, but it's, uh, it doesn't come that naturally, I don't think. No. You know, having to no. basically be on the whole time and, you know, talk it up the whole time. Well, again, that must be quite nice with Isle, though, because you've got the lens of the brand to, to do that stuff. Yeah, but I need to be more like that with Isle. I need, we need to make make it more sellable and be more proactive with, like, saying, this is where to buy it. We're, pre- we're still pretty, like, old school, like... So, yeah. What, as in, like, kind of, like, let the world come to me sort of thing? A little bit, yeah. Right. It's just... I'm just not a naturally born salesman. No. It's not my thing. No. Who Do you, do you, do you see people that it comes naturally to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are people out there like Gareth, who runs Palace. Greg, they're just f- amazingly ambitious, and it's that they, it, they're just their drive is just phenomenal. Right. Know? Like they're just, but that's what they're that's consuming their world 100. percent Yeah. So Gareth's like loving those connections, and he's making this world. It's, yeah. He's like a paint. It's exactly what a painter's doing. You're making a world. Yeah, sure. So I guess it's just he's in that domain, and luckily like, for him, it makes him loads of money. Yeah. Well, there's always yeah, there's always those people that can that can do that, like you know, make that aesthetic successful because that's what it is, isn't it? Really. I mean, I don't think there's. I think it is a gift, though. I don't think there's always people like. I think Gareth could be in it really. If Gareth wasn't running Palace, he'd be like running one of the most successful like plumbing companies. Yeah. He's just gifted at making shit. Yeah, don't think you can fake that. Sell. Yeah. And Lev's a genius because he just has like the most amazing ideas, and they just come together, and it's just like a magical duo. Yeah. I think in life, often it's duos or it's it's partnerships like people who are successful in, in history we don't look at the wind in their sails a lot of the time but there's often people behind closed doors who are massively involved yeah. in their success I was going to use Steve Jobs as an example actually because he's somebody that basically his his role seemed to be just to be the front man for other people's creativity in a lot, in a lot of ways yeah. and you know be embody what that thing stood for if not necessarily actually doing the work a lot of the <laughs> yeah, time yeah exactly but like you say, it's not something that you can particularly learn, I don't think. No, exactly. It's a bit of, I think, it just comes in time and like luck sometimes in life. Luck is just a big player. Yeah. Some people's like. Do you believe that? Yeah, just in terms of like being in the right place at the right time, meeting the people, like making connections. Yeah. Do you think you've been the beneficiary of that? Yeah, definitely. I think with skateboarding mainly, like yeah. in terms of being at South Bank at the right age and the right time. Right. 100%. I've, rece- I've been recipient of that timing and that luck right and having having a something to offer it's yeah. not just timing and luck but it's when things come together yeah but i mean you know it's a bit of a cheesy question but do you do yeah. you believe that whole make your own look stuff oh yeah i definitely think you know you have drive and be proactive but there are just some some things like you know like lev and gareth's relationship is just like it is magic in a way like right the connection is just like perfect do you know what i mean right it's like Similar, there's just certain things out there like I don't know you can look at it throughout history certain people compliment someone else in a way that is just made to do that thing brings out their best yeah um, 
the perfect vehicle for them yeah. to to do what they're doing basically yeah. or like to go back to picasso and apollinaire like the poet i mean his work shifted once he's met apollinaire and started to learn about his poetry his work went f- completely stratospheric in terms of it's like symbolic and it just his whole world changed because of that yeah and then at the, you know he has this like amazing dealer and all these ingredients go towards producing the like greatest you know living artist 20th century artist modern artist do you think you found that no way <laughs> <laughs> that was the obvious question no way yeah but you think that would be something that would no I, don't, I think times are different now in the in the territory's been explored so much in history that that, that there's less original space to, to to find we're in a land where it's more about appropriation and recontextualizing things that have gone before that's my opinion but like what as in there's not much room for th- to space. say anything original anymore it's hard there's ways to say things original but not to pluck something original out of thin air yeah uh, or an inquiry into space when I mean space I'm talking about like the cubism and then dealing with this idea of like containing three dimensional space in two dimensional representational terms and how they dealt with that through their you know multi-point perspective shape all these different elements that that kind of tip of the iceberg exciting thing which had never been dealt before no one had painted like that before Suzanne had sort of nodded at it but it didn't exist it's hard to find that territory now yeah because it's the same with music like the Rolling Stones or something like that at the time you'd be like wow this is the fucking best thing in the world but now there's probably millions of people as talented but it all kind of blends in a bit it's hard to to get that same with skateboarding It's it's just desensitized because you've seen so much good stuff yeah that what's going to stand out can that be depressing as an artist or as somebody that's creative or is it just I just think it's a fact of life and it's something you can get you've got to get on with you can get depressed about it but I think it's just like okay this is where we're at now yeah Um, it takes a different framing in your mind I don't think you think about movements anymore I'm not thinking like right we're in this surrealist domain or I'm in a da 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 I just think we're in a kind of postmodern context and it's just like I still believe the individual is can be as interesting as they were, you know, in the 1900s or whatever. It's just self-confidence and a vision and thought and time and effort. Yeah, the same, the same principles yeah. basically are true. It's just agree, how, yeah. how you express it. Yeah. Kind of brings so. back to that question of, of who you would think was, is doing that now. Well, I think Christian Heidek is doing it massively. I think yeah. Ted Gore. I think Ted Gore's one of my. He's my favorite abstract painter. So that's what you see in them. This, this. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I see, because I see with someone like Christian, he's like he's. You can tell he's looked at these historical examples and he's he's taking them into his own, his own way. Yeah. And exploring a new kind of, um, sort of, marriage of this old sort of. Idea of perspective connected with this more modern. They kind of feel a bit like. Piero della Francesca frescoes meets Super Mario. There's this kind of modern and ancient connection of space that he's he's mined for and found through just experimentation and thinking and processing and stuff like that. And that's that's a space that Piero couldn't have thought of at the time because Mario didn't exist. How about in skateboarding? I think someone like Mike Arnold is probably my f- most sort of favourite. I'd attribute him most to someone like Picasso or something, if that makes sense. Just in terms of like he looks at like the world or architectural objects when you go for a skate less like there's no list of like okay this is what this is for or I'm going to do this trick on this it's more just like this is a piece of concrete shaped in this way and I'm going to like go at it in this direction it kind of breaks down the preconceived ideas about what you're you know what you're supposed to do or because as much as we're creative as skateboarders we still have rules well yeah I mean there's, there's codes Left, right, and center, aren't there? Exactly. <laughs> Basically, I think he sort of breaks them a bit. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty pretty hidebound culture. Quite quite actually hard to step away from that. Really judgmental. Yeah, so well. judgmental. So to, to 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 actually do that, it takes a you know yeah bit of bravery. A, yeah, exactly. And then you need your Jake Harris type of figure behind you to yeah. film it, reinforce it, and put it in the context that then makes then makes the world go wow. Yeah. Because you could see that in a different time badly represented as just some bloke being like Simon Woodstock or something. Yeah, yeah. shoes off and, <laughs> and being a clown. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's about, it's like I said, it's about context and it's about appropriation. And it's yeah. About appropriation is a, a strong word though, right? 
can be negative that yeah it can be negative if, if you, you you could use it as like borrowing or like copying yeah but i mean more like we have to draw from the past like it's a vocabulary that's been established and you can't deny that you can't just turn up today and do a painting of something that of a spaceship that hasn't existed yet yeah. because even if you do someone else has probably done something similar to that yeah thinking of something completely different to you yeah you could never be truly original in that respect you'll always there'll always be someone that comes along and goes oh that reminds me of that yeah and you'll net you know you'll just endlessly be chasing your tail yeah well there's always those smart asses aren't there always yeah basically so you're better off learning knowledge is like important and then going oh cool okay like i'm going to take that and this is what i'm going to do with it yeah i think well it comes back to the confidence thing again though doesn't it because if you can do it great but it's not easy all the time no but i think you just have to push yourself just be uncomfortable for a bit just go into that space of just being like fail yeah you know it sounds easy when you put it like that it's not easy i know that's what i mean it's it's really hard because it's it's not hard for people around you they go well it's not as easy just go for it but for you as a a human being it feels really like it's not who you are it'd be like doing something completely out of your comfort zone but like i think that's super important in life just as a, as a bit of a rule of thumb like to <laughs> not necessarily just go and punch someone in the face because then you might start a fight or something and then that's good <laughs> because you've done something that's take, put you in an uncle. take that trip to the west coast <laughs> there's a richness to life and you get rewarded for like asking difficult questions in, in work in creative ideas that's a nice way of putting it definitely is that something that you've that you've found then as yeah I've definitely that's to say I'm proud of myself for being going into these things and being like this is a bit risky yeah you know for a good two year process right not really re- showing anyone it and just dealing with it and going through it and work working out at my own time and not succumbing to the immediacy of like no I want to be resolved now and put it on Instagram and be like successful yeah li- being in limbo for a while and just being like I have no idea yeah I don't know and, and being, on, being honest saying oh I think this is shit yeah what I've made I don't know when I'm going to make something good. Right. I'm just going home on your bike and thinking like, maybe one day I'll make something good, but at the moment I hate what I'm making. Right. And dealing with that uncomfortable space for about two, three years. Yeah, really? It wasn't fun. Right, wow. Okay, so that, that was real. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel like you're through that? I feel like I have made a breakthrough recently just in terms of like connecting the materiality and like the process and it all kind of feels like it makes sense now. I kind of know... I know what I'm looking for. Right. At least I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, that's progress. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not being glib. I mean, no, that, I is, agree, that, yeah. that, that is that I is that is. I didn't know what subject. Man. I knew the, I loved painting. That's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. You know, this is what we're talking about. Basically, it's like how you find that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and can can put it that throwaway, but that's the whole point, isn't it? Surely. Exactly. It's like what you said about Hunter S. Thompson writing the thing. It's like I was listening to Radio Two the other day, and someone was saying like, when you've got writer's block, this was their own like life they were saying when they have writer's block they just still write every day even yeah. if they write like things that make no sense right she just they were saying like it's still like a monk like process of like I'm still going to write even if it's crap yeah so I'm still going to paint on this canvas that I've bought stretched put energy and money into it, even if I know before I've started it I'm, I'm not going to like it yeah because you can't wait for the most perfect moment of enlightenment to come and hit you on the head and go ding you figured it all out no exactly well you you have to it comes back to what we started off talking about which is almost why I asked that question about routine you know you have to exactly. basically do just keep turning up to do do some work to have a bit of forward movement to yeah earn the right really yeah and then you feel that richer like more like say I'm happy to admit being proud like you're like yes I put the, some hours in and yeah. like, something good's come out of it rather than just like jumping into the Thames and just being like I'm fucking over it <laughs> like you can't figure it out <laughs> Yeah, my favourite quote about writer's block was one that I read years ago, which is, writer's block is a middle-class way of saying you're lazy. Exactly. <laughs> that's it, man. Yeah, um, not sure I agree with that, but I do understand the sentiment. No, I, yeah. Because, you know, ultimately, you do have to just keep trying it, don't you? And see where it takes you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good note to end it on. Great, man. I'm glad. So there you go. That was me and Nick Jensen. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, about that title... As any good English lit graduate like myself knows, the anxiety of influence is a theory that Wikipedia confirms to me. It was first expounded by Harold Bloom in the early 1970s. And it's about the pernicious influence of, well, influence, really. And how as an artist, 
one of your primary jobs is to free yourself from those influences to create individual work. Now, obviously, that's something that anybody engaged in any field can recognize. According to Bloom, weak artists simply copy their forebears excuse me, and never transcend that. A good example of this in action, I guess, would be Jack Kerouac's first novel, The Town and the City, which is a fairly transparent lift of his hero, Thomas Wolfe. Later, he went on to develop his own voice, which led him to stuff like On the Road, The Dharma Bums, and all the rest. He became, in Harold Bloom's eyes, well, not that he really used Kerouac as an example, but I am, as a strong artist, somebody that transcended their influences to create original work. Now, that really struck me, that whole thing, when I was talking to Nick, because what you can see is he's really diligently creating a space for himself to be original. So it seemed like an apposite reference. And you know me, I love a chin-strokey, wanky, artistic reference. So that's why it's called Anxiety of Influence, if anyone cares. Anyway, so Housekeeping Corner. And I should mention, I'm doing a live show in London on Thursday, the 5th of September. Now, this is kind of like crossing over with my day job, really. I run a company called All Conditions Media when I'm not doing this, which is... uh, Although a lot of people that know what I do at All Conditions Media seem amazed to discover that that's still what I do full time and not this. Um, yeah, that's my day job. Keeps me pretty busy. And what we're, we're doing a week in London um, at the beginning of September called Elements, where we're doing all manner of stuff at a venue in, in the East End. But um, one of the things is a night on Thursday the 5th called Pin Drop. And it's going to be me interviewing three guests from the world of action sports and outdoor on stage, well, you know, in a room where we'll be discussing their relationship with music and audio and how it influences their relationship with the outdoors. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Um, I've been threatening to do a live show for a while and I really like this idea. So um, got a few good guests coming lined up for it. I've not confirmed anyone yet, so I'm not going to say they are now, but I think it's going to be good. Probably going to record it as well. And yeah, have a good think about putting it out as an episode if it if it turns out well. Now, I'm going to be giving away a few tickets through the podcast. So if you're in London and you fancy coming along, the best way of finding out about that is heading to my website and subscribing to my newsletter. Get yourself over to www.wearelookingsideways.com for that. I put those newsletters out each Sunday and they, uh, they're basically five things I thought were worth sharing that week. Now, speaking of which, had some interesting feedback about the newsletter, which I'm going to share. I think I've mentioned this before on here, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But one of the weird things about doing the newsletter, like weirdly enjoyable, slightly slash masochistic things about doing the newsletter, is checking who's unsubscribed each month. Because obviously you can see that, um, especially when it's mates, awkward. Anyway, I've had a lot of people unsubscribing recently that's because as an experiment i took off the opt-in option from the sign up to see what effect it'd have really i've got to be honest i completely ignored all the gdpr stuff that's not to say i'm completely spamming people intentionally because i'm really not because and also i don't really understand how newsletter spam works to be honest but clearly people do get spammed because what happened was it had an effect when i took that opt-in off people seem to subscribe i'm now realized people were getting signed up against their own volition um secondly open rates and click rates fell um perhaps not surprising thirdly unsubscriptions went up so obviously i turned it back on the opt-in um but then obviously people who had been inadvertently spammed apologies if that's you still kept unsubscribing not talking like huge numbers just a few people each week Anyway, this week I noticed that somebody I know fairly well and who I know is a fan of the podcast had unsubscribed. So I probably like a bit of a cock, actually. I asked him why, just thought, you know, valuable intel right there. I'm glad that I did, actually, because basically he said, well, the reason that I unsubscribed is because that newsletter turns up at 7 a.m. each Sunday morning and wakes me up every week because I've got my email notifications turned on. Now, like any sane person... I've personally got all my notifications on my phone turned off so I can at least try and live a normal life. But I forget that some people don't do that and do have their email notifications turned on, a bit like those people who have the clicks turned on on their phone that you hear on the train. Bizarre, but people do it. Um, 
But obviously that is a massively fair point. Nobody in the world wants to get woken up from an email from me at 7am each Sunday morning. So I changed the delivery time basically to Monday a.m. I kind of thought, well, get it on the way to work or when you arrive at work is probably preferable. Might make a little nice start to the week. So we'll see. Um, We'll see how the ongoing experiment develops. If I haven't scared you off, the content is, you know, people seem to like it. There's the vast majority of people seem to be opening it. Many thousands of them every week. Um, I'm at the point now where people are sending me stuff to put in the newsletter, which is obviously quite funny. Um, but yeah, have a look. I sometimes give stuff stuff away and I will be giving tickets away for this event. So yeah, get yourself signed up and don't forget to opt in or else you won't receive it. All right, that's it for me. I'll be back with another episode soon. We're getting closer to episode 100. Exciting times. Um, I should have a confirmation on that one pretty soon. So yeah, hope everyone's into that. But thanks for listening. And yeah, nice one. See you next week. <laughs>